Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. <laughs> I'm going to have to expand on that. I just woke up feeling real dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Baker Mayfield, a little swag there. I guess he was feeling dangerous. Three touchdown passes on the day as they beat the Atlanta Falcons. Pretty uh, shocking upset there with the Falcons, the way they were rolling. But Baker Mayfield came out with a pretty good game plan. Nick Chubb went for 176 in that game. It's one of the reasons I love Baker Mayfield. He's not afraid to just tell like it is, come out, give you some good lines for the press after the game, give you some good sound bites. Uh, so big win for the Browns. Not making the playoffs though. Good luck to them the rest of the season. But some teams that might. We've got the NFC East that is an absolute shambles right now. And you thought that it was going to be the Redskins and the Eagles. And one of those two teams were probably going to, you know, take the, take it to the last week of the season potentially. And one of those teams would end up winning that division. But all of a sudden last night, see a Sunday night primetime game in Philadelphia. The Dallas Cowboys, we wrote them off last week. Jerry Jones. Troy Aikman comes out, says they need to clean house. You know, you're going to get Jason Garrett fired. Dak Prescott supposedly getting a contract extension. Nobody knows why. And you're thinking the Cowboys are a complete disaster. And all they do go in is go in to Philadelphia and dominate a game. Where Ezekiel Elliott goes off. He has uh, 151 yards rushing, including incredible hurtling, leaping play in the first half, which was kind of uh, typical of his career. He kind of gets back to that rookie form. Uh, he had 36 reception yards to go along with it, a couple touchdowns uh, passes. Dak Prescott looked like maybe you should give him an extension, some sort of payday, because he had a pretty solid game, 270 yards with a touchdown, also another rush touchdown. Didn't go quite toe-to-toe with Carson Wentz, but all that matters is he won. So here's the deal. I think this is bad if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Because I think you were close to getting what you need to have happen if you want to get this franchise turned around. You need Jerry Jones to separate himself and remove himself from his own general manager spot. Because the more he gets involved in this offense, in the day-to-day operations of the Cowboys, they have no chance. You need him to make a change at the head, co- uh, head coaching position with Jason Garrett. You need him... To make a move on from Dak Prescott at quarterback. The fact that the Cowboys won, yeah, it felt good because it was in prime time. But now you're going to get Jerry Jones, which he did after the game, saying, I told you so. I was right. This is my team. I I told you guys I can win with them. And they did. So he's more unlikely to make a move now at head coach and quarterback. And so that's going to set you back even further because... This team is just going to tease you. That's all the Cowboys are going to do. They're going to tease you at times. They're going to show glimpses. But unless Ezekiel Elliott can do that every single game, that's the only chance you're going to have to win. Because almost to a T, you can go down the Cowboys' schedule, you can look at the box score, and if Ezekiel Elliott played well and had over 100 yards rushing, they win. If he doesn't, and all of a sudden the onus is put on Dak Prescott to carry the offense, they lose. It's not a winning formula in today's NFL. You've got to be multidimensional, and more importantly, you've got to have a quarterback who can put a team on his back and carry you through the passing game. And I like there were some good throws. Like, I get it. I get why Jerry Jones sees potential. Dak Prescott has all the intangibles. He's a good leader. He has great work ethic. 
and you saw flashes last night, two minute drill coming down before the half, made some really nice throws down the field, got him right down to the half yard line, then takes it in with a quarterback sneak. Those were some really big time NFL throws. The problem is he doesn't do it consistently enough and he doesn't do it when they have to, when they eliminate the run game. Cause that's what defenses are going to do. They're going to eliminate Ezekiel and they're going to say, Dak Prescott, you beat us. And the problem is when that's the scenario, it hasn't worked this far. And I don't think it's going to change anytime in the future. Then you get exposed as a franchise quarterback, which I don't think Dak Prescott is. So what I think is going to happen. This win is going to tell Jerry Jones he was right. He's going to keep these guys in place. And then you're going to keep being around 8-8, eight and 7-9, eight, and 9-7 nine, nine and seven for the foreseeable future until you're willing to make those big changes. Because the 13-3 and three seasons, the 12-4 and four seasons, if you look at Jason Garrett's tenure, those are the aberration. Those are not the norm. The norm is 8-8, eight and 7-9 eight, around the mediocre spot. So get used to it, Cowboys fans. I get that you want to win a game last night. It's a rival. But it didn't get the end goal accomplished, which if you're a Cowboys fan, I think should be you need to make major changes. Because I would tend to agree with Troy Aikman that a sweeping overhaul is necessary for this team to get to the next level. All right, so that was the winning team. How about the losing team? Because this NFC East is wide open. Redskins, Eagles, they look like they had a chance going into this game. They laid a complete egg. I thought it was an awful performance at home like it was great you had the veterans day you know salute to the troops before which happy veterans day thank you to all our service members for uh you know uh donating your service giving your uh the sacrifice of your time uh and resources and and defending our country uh we want to make sure we uh give those guys the appreciation guys and girls the appreciation that they deserve but so they have this huge you know game it's a home game it's a big crowd and you're supposed to come out and this is your opportunity to potentially, you know, keep go toe to toe with the Washington Redskins at the top of the the division, and that's the performance you get. I I just don't understand it. At home, they've been an absolute joke, losing to the Vikings at home. Then they lost to the Panthers when they blew the seventeen seventeen nothing lead to Cam Newton, which really you know kind of propelled the, the Panthers in a different direction. And then that's what you're going to give me on on a Sunday night football primetime game. I don't understand how that happens. This team does not have what it had last year. I know there's injuries in the secondary, but last year you had injuries all over the place. But you were a true team, and you came together, and you were able to turn things around because you got the next man up mentality. Carson Wentz is playing great. It's not his problem. He's still playing close to his level that he did last year. I know it's not quite the MVP-type numbers that he put up last year, but he's still having a pretty good season. For me, it's really tough to define what is going on with the Eagles other than it's a Super Bowl hangover, that they do not have that edge that you have to have to run a 16-game schedule and be consistent week in and week out. You have to have a mentality of everyone's out to get us. We have to come out there with a chip on our shoulder. And most importantly, like every coach, when you sit in a team meeting at the beginning of the year, you have to defend your home field. You have to win your eight games at home if you want to have a chance. And to lose three of those games in a row at home destroys their chances, and I think they're done uh, in the NFC East, which leads me to the Washington Redskins. They completely shut down the Bucks, 16-3, to and I know the Bucks had a lot of yardage. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes off, has an incredible game. Uh, they had 501 yards, but they only scored three points. So the Redskins are sitting there thinking, hey, who cares? You guys can do everything you want as long as you, you cough it up in the red zone and you can't convert there. It's the first team since 1940 to gain 500 yards in a game and score three points or fewer. Dirk Cutter was all, hey, that was my play calling. Well, good for you. You had a lot of yards and nothing to show for it. But this Washington Redskins team looks like they're going to win the NFC East, and I would not expect that to change. They're, they've had their best start to a season through nine games since posting a 6-3 and three record in 2008. 
I'm a little bit tentative when I look at this because, you know, I was all in on Kirk Cousins going to Minnesota and I was mad at the Redskins. But you know what? It could be a situation where it's best off for everybody because they got their guy Alex Smith. He's, you know, he doesn't have to put up huge numbers. He only had 170 uh, yards passing. But they're able to run the football. They don't turn it over. And when the other team turns it over four times, that's going to be a pretty good recipe to win games. So I think this is a scenario where the Vikings got their man, the Redskins got their man at Alex Smith, and their schedule, the way it sets up, a couple big road matches. They get through Houston next week, who's been on fire. You get the, you have to go on the road to the Cowboys and the Eagles, which, you know, it's, it's part of the division. It's part of those, you know, tough stretch that you've got to get through on the road. But I still think the Redskins are the best team in this division, despite having to lost three offensive starters going into this weekend. Didn't bother them. Didn't phase them one bit. They come out on top. So not only the Eagles were missing that chip on their shoulder, that one's kind of like, hey, that's a team new to success. You can kind of understand it. Doug Peterson, they're, you know, it's their first Super Bowl in forever. They're sitting there thinking, hey, you know, we're just happy to be here. A team that you would not expect that to happen to is New England Patriots. And for them to go into Tennessee, and to get spanked. And this game was not even close. It was 34-10. My score might have been deceiving because that sounds kind of close, and it wasn't close at all. I thought New England got exposed a little bit, and it's concerning because I think I had the the Patriots to get their over total. 11.5 games coming into the season was their win total. And I took the over because I thought it was a lock. You know, every season since uh, 2008 except for one, they've had 12 or more wins. So they've been this model of consistency. And these are one of those games which you don't typically get out of the Patriots. Usually they're focused. They had won six games in a row. Tom Brady's playing better. They're getting more out of a very banged up, you know, offense when they don't have guys like Gronk when he's out. Doesn't matter. They next guy up, they pick up the slack. When Sony Michelle's been out, no big deal. He comes back yesterday. But Brady, 50% passing, under 50%, uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He got hit a lot. He looked started to look old. And I thought what what um what Tennessee, which did was really smart, was they mixed up a ton of looks. And Mike Vrabel talked about the game. He said, hey, you can't let Brady get comfortable back there. And so they they mixed up a bunch of coverages. They threw a bunch of blitzes at him. They basically threw the kitchen sink at him. And it was effective. It worked for the Titans. And Marcus Mariota is starting to play a thousand times better than he's played throughout his young career. And it looks like he's taken that next step to the next level, getting some more consistency out of the rush game where they had 150 uh, 150 rushing yards to go with it. I think this team, the Titans are a team that could be a threat in their division, which right now looks like it's owned by that Houston Texans team, which has been so hot, but they've won six in a row. And they're, you kind of look at the Texans and the, and the Titans, the very similar young quarterbacks where they've got a lot of potential. Defenses are pretty good. There's nothing flashy about them. And I think this race is going to come down to the finish. I think this one's going to be a lot harder to pick of which team comes out of it. I would lean towards the Texans just because they've been playing a little bit better. But this one absolutely could be up in the air. And I thought there was one thing specific that I heard coming out of the Titans locker room after the game, which I think meant something. It was the fact that you had guys like Malcolm Butler, who was not re-signed by the Patriots. You had Deion Lewis, who was like, you know, they said, nope, we're good. Guys that were on this Patriots team that might have liked it and wanted to stay there long term and weren't given that opportunity said, you know what? You forget you guys. We're going to come out. We're going to show you that we're valuable, that we were worth every penny, that these, that this team paid us. They came out there with a chip on their shoulder and with a message that they wanted to send to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And they sent it loud and clear. Mark Smo, the last couple of weeks, 
70% completion percentage of his passes, 468 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he's getting uh, hot at the right time. All right, let's get over to Hannah because we got a little thing we're going to do. Headlines in a hurry. We're going to run through some of these uh, other couple games that we had on tap. Yes, Danny, exactly that. I'm going to run through some of the big questions of the day so far, and you're going to give me some good, solid, and quick answers. You ready? All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, number one, the Saints have proved that they're more productive than ever. Yesterday, they dropped 51 points on the Bengals, including five touchdowns on their first five possessions. Are the Saints the clear-cut best team in football right now? Yes, and I'm starting to think they're starting to separate themselves sort of another category because the other team that we put up there is the Rams. I actually had the Patriots in my power rankings up there, but I can't leave them there after that week. The Rams, all of a sudden, they're supposed to be out this defense that they've got. They barely beat the Packers at home. They beat, uh, they got beat by the Saints. They gave up 45 points to them. And then they barely beat the Seahawks this past weekend, 36-31. So I can't go with the Rams. I look at the Saints. I think they're the complete package. Their defense is playing better. You got Drew Brees, Hall of Famer. You're getting a run game out of Alvin Kamara. You're starting to get some, you know, they, the Des Bryant injury hurts them, but it's not like they ever got any production from anyways. He was only in there for two practices. So yeah, I'd say the Saints, and I'd say the Saints are going to look to get even better, uh, in the second half of the season. I'm missing Raja to yell at you right now. Normally, you guys would be arguing this. I know, right? <laughs> All right, next one. For a third straight game, Andrew Luck put together an efficient afternoon of football. He was 21 of 29 for 285 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception in Sunday's win over the Jaguars. Can the Colts and Luck win the AFC South? No. I think it's going to come down between those teams we were just talking about. I think it's going to come down to the Texans and the Titans. The, the Indianapolis, they just got off to a slow start. And I love the way they've been playing recently. But after you start one in five, like it's really tough to get things turned around. And I get the three wins in a row. But if you look at the three wins, I'm sorry, Hannah, but the a win against the Bills doesn't really do a lot like for confidence <laughs> boost. Like that's not exactly a sign. They beat the Raiders. Again, one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NFL. And then they beat the Jags this past weekend, which the Jags are not the team that they were last year. So I look at the Colts and I say, yeah, it's good for them. They're getting things headed in the right direction. They're building from the inside out. Andrew Luck has not been sacked in four games. 187 dropback passes. He has not been sacked. That is a great thing. But I look at the teams they're playing against and I say, wake up. They're going to get a little wake-up call in the next few weeks of their season. All right, last one for you, Danny. The Oakland Raiders lost 20-6 to to the Chargers on Sunday, and even owner Mark Davis accepted the blame for the team's 1-8 and eight start. So is this rock bottom for the Raiders right now? Nope, it is not rock bottom. You know why? Because it's going to get worse because there's more football to be played. They are going to lose the remainder of their schedule. They have to go on the road to the Cardinals, a game that's a team that's awful that they they're probably going to get beaten that one. You're seeing players quit, and I think that's going to continue. There's rumors out there that Jordy Nelson is going to retire. After the game, several reporters said they heard a veteran player on the Raiders team saying, get me the bleep out of here. It is going to get much worse, and it started – the fall, the precipitous fall of the Raiders started the moment Gruden traded away Khalil Mack and he traded away their best player. That was a message to the locker room that the, the, the locker room did not receive well. So, yeah, if you think it's bad now, wait for the remaining six or seven games in your schedule, and then you'll find out what bad really is because it's not getting any better anytime soon for the Raiders. Well, it's getting bad for the Raiders, but it's getting good on Off the Bench. Coming up after the break, Danny catches up with CBS Sports senior NFL writer Will Brinson. Stay with us. You're watching Off the Bench. Let's get Will Brinson in here. What's up, my man? How we doing? What's up, Danny? A little filibuster for your Monday morning? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing like that. No, we love talking to you, uh, Will, especially when I'm riding solo. Like, we always love talking to you. But when I have somebody to bounce something off, it makes it a lot better. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Will Brinson. Uh, you can also check out his uh, Pick 6 podcast. That's our daily NFL podcast. All right, Will, the story that will never go away, seemingly, is the Le'Veon Bell saga. And I cannot wait for this Tuesday deadline to finally come and go because we'll have our answer and we can put it to bed. Because I'm tired of hearing maybe he's going to come in. It was the late Labor Day reporting. Then it was, you know, maybe the bye week. Here we are. The deadline is here. What do you think is going to happen? Because the latest report said he's not going to go there and he's going to sit out the rest of the season. I, th- I think he's, I think he's out. I think he's going to skip the season, Danny. It's crazy. I mean, he has until Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to show up and assign his tender. And even at that point, the Steelers are going to use, and, and the best example of why they'll do this is the Des Bryant injury. They're going to use the two-week exe- roster exemption on him, which will allow them to you know, pay him a percentage of whatever he's owed for that week. And theoretically, it could be zero, but they would negotiate something more. Uh, I just think that Le'Veon Bell has decided that he – I mean, when he sees what happens to Des Bryant, because the worst-case scenario is he shows up now – Signs the tender, you know, gets, tries to get in the football shape, gets out there in, in, you know, uh, week 12 or week 13 and, and tears his Achilles. Like he won't get any money on the free agency market. And I think he knows that if he goes out there now and, and, and he waits it out and he rides it out until after the season and he loses out of 14 million, he can hit a payday in the offseason that will at least, you know, he's never going to make up for the 14 million lost in, in a single year, but he can get the full, um, you know, fully guaranteed $40 million contract that he's wanted all along. Is this potentially a loophole that nobody thought would happen? Cause I did see, I was reading some articles about that. Cause if the Steelers did franchise tag him again, it'd be at 25 million, which, you know, it'd be a huge payday. I don't think they will, but is this something that you think could become a trend if players are willing to just, Hey, I'll sit out a year. I'll wait. I'll get to my free agency. You think this is something that he might have started without even knowing? Yeah, I do. I think he accident, he's an accidental genius. That's my favorite yeah. phrase. Like, like, good job by you, Lavia. You're, you're Kurt, you're accidentally Kurt Flood. Way to go. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I'll be honest. I read the CBA fairly frequently and I had read this a few weeks ago and something, something didn't seem right as I was reading it, but I was like, ah, you know, like maybe I'm, maybe I'm just sleepy or didn't have my coffee. This like, what am I, what am I missing here? And then when going back and rereading it, you're like, yeah, it is, it is clear there. If you, you know, on that third tag, if you missed the entire year, because we were all under the impression wrongly and stupidly, and even Le'Veon's agents and apparently everybody was under the impression that if you skip a season by not reporting and not signing your tag, that you would just be tagged at the same price the year before. But it actually escalates on the third tag. So in other words, anybody who wanted to, to play this string out, I mean, I guess Demarcus Lawrence might be the next closest guy. If, if he doesn't want to negotiate and the Cowboys want to tag him again, he could keep playing. And, and what eventually will happen is – you know, for Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers could use the transition tag on him, but that basically makes him a free agent. It gives them the ability to match while he's out there shopping offers. So he's either going to get $25 million guaranteed for a single year, which he would love to do, and he would probably play next year on that, or he's going to get, uh, you know, the ability to shop himself on the transition tag, or the Steelers will just let him walk and he'll become a free agent. Um, you know, it'll, it'll basically boil down to how will they maximize their compensation back for Le'Veon Bell, but it's, it's shaking out to be where it won't be much at all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch and see how this plays out because I think there will be other players that will start to take advantage of it. So our own Jason Lockenfora reported over the weekend that uh, John Harbaugh and the Ravens headed for a 
uh, you know, a split and it's kind of both sides have agreed. It does almost feel like sometimes in the NFL where that, that 10 year window that just gets stale and it's like good for everybody to move on and take another, you know, to take, just take a different job and, and to get some new blood in there. Do you think that's what this is about for the Ravens? Is it more about the lack of success they've had recently? Uh, it's a little bit of both. And I think the, you know, the win- the timing of the window makes a lot of sense. And, and Jason pointed this out, but, you know, Joe Flacco is going to be gone after this year, he, he, regardless of, you know, like Lamar Jackson could be kidnapped by aliens tomorrow and Joe Flacco is still going to be gone. I mean, his, his contract sets up that way. Uh, Ozzie Newsom is walking away, the GM uh, leaving and, and turning things over to Eric DaCosta. And, and John Harbaugh's contract is, you know, set up where he has one year left. He doesn't want to be a lame duck, but they don't want to extend him. He did win a Super Bowl. Um, it, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it secretly was. And, <laughs> you know, they haven't made the playoffs in a long time. They haven't been very good since they won that Super Bowl and had to give Joe Flacco that huge contract. And I, I just think that it, it would be better for John Harbaugh and it would be better for the Ravens to go out and, and find somebody. You know, I don't think that the setup that John Harbaugh's got there is necessarily conducive to, to, being the best possible setup for Lamar Jackson and, and for the future going forward. And look, Jason and I talked about this on the Pick Six podcast, but if you if you look at their roster, there's like three guys on the whole roster you would give up a first round pick for. And that might be stretching it. Most of the guy you know, most of their talent is is you know twenty seven or older. It's not a bunch of young players, and so they do need sort of more of a reboot than I think they're you know than, than we really understand. Uh, I still like them to, to make a playoff run this year, but it's going to be difficult, and and I think that it's it is probably best for John Harbaugh to walk away. Danny, he'll be highly coveted on the free agent market. Um, two spots to to look for him to potentially land if the Packers were to move on from Mike McCarthy for similar reasons. Uh, John Harbaugh could be a fit there, and then I think Cleveland would make a ton of sense too. Uh, working with John Dorsey and Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb, a young franchise that looks uh, like it has a bright future. Yeah, and they're obviously with Greg Williams, the interim coach. They're not going to keep him around. They definitely need some new blood in there as well. So maybe that could be a good fit. So that puts this division like Mike Tomlin's the only guy with any job security in there. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, one, two, and one, you're like, maybe he was up for grabs too. But that leaves us with the Bengals and Marvin Lewis, 0 and 7 in the playoffs. It, that, every time I look at the standings in the AFC North and I see the Bengals towards the top, I'm like, yeah, they might, even if they win the division, I'm just not buying into it. He fires his defensive coordinator today. That like is a, a first red flag that, uh uh-oh, things are, you know, if he's making that type of move, it's, hey, I got to protect my own butt. Do you think we could possibly see a change there at head coach? Uh, I firmly believe that, that, or nuclear, like the nuclear apocalypse will occur and <laughs> nuclear winter will take over and Marvin Lewis will still be coaching the Bengals. But yeah, I mean, anything, anything is, anything could happen, I suppose. I think if the Bengals have a really, really ugly season and, and, and things take a bad downturn that we could end up seeing, uh, you know, some, some sort of change there. I mean, Marvin Lewis is second longest tenured head, head coach. He's never won in the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, yeah, maybe something happens. Man, Mike Brown just doesn't want to make change. I mean, he just just doesn't like to swap out coaches. I, I do think it is worth noting on this. You know, they're the first team to give up um, 500 yards in, in in three or four straight games. I can't, I can't remember what it is, but this, the four teams they played are really good. Like they gave up a bunch of yardage, uh, you know, to the Steelers, the Chiefs, and the Saints. I mean, and the Buccaneers. Like the four of the five best offenses in football, and so that doesn't help. Uh, as John Breach has pointed out, there's a bunch of you know players who don't understand the system running around there, looking like they don't understand the system. The, it, Paul, you know, um, you know, Terrell Austin came in, and Paul Gunther had been the head coach or the, the defensive coordinator, excuse me, for so long. And to make that change, it, it, it hadn't it hadn't carried over, and it hadn't worked very well, and their defense just hadn't looked good. So maybe Marvin Lewis takes over 
calls and, and it gets a little bit better. It, it's a tough path to the playoffs for them. You know, they, they could still steal that second wild card, but it looks like the Chargers are going to be a wild card team if they can't catch the Chiefs. And then, you know, you got these teams in the AFC South and the AFC North who are sort of churning in, in, in mediocrity, trying to make a move with the Titans and the, and the Colts right there and, and then the Bengals and the Ravens. So I, I think, you know, Cincinnati needs to make the playoffs. I, I don't, I just have a hard time believing they'll ever fire Marvin, but, but yeah, I mean, he certainly should be a candidate if they miss. So it's that time of year. I think, you know, franchises start realizing, hey, we're not going to make the playoffs. Things are going one way or another. And the Jets, like I keep hitting refresh on Twitter to see if Todd Bowles has been fired yet. They have a bye week playing at home against the Bills and they lose to Matt Barkley and they get dominated 41 to 10. Like that's as embarrassing as it gets. We're almost a fear of the Jets, you know, ownership. You're just saying like, you, you made it really easy for us to make a change. Do you think that comes down soon? Uh, I, I saw right before we got on here, um, NFL Network, or Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reported he doesn't hear the Jets are going to make a change in season. So it sounds like it'll be something after the season. I, 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 I mentioned this with Damon Amendolaro on, on CBS Sports Radio earlier this morning, but it makes, it kind of makes sense to wait if only for optics purposes for Christopher Johnson, the, you know, who's, who's the operating owner right now after Woody left to go be an ambassador in some foreign country. Um, you don't want to look like, your typical Jets owner, right? You want to be looking like you've got, you know what you're doing, that you're patient, that you're willing to play the string out and see how the season goes. And Todd Bowles has been, a, I think he's been a better head coach than people give him credit for, given the talent that they've had there. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You, Sam Darnold looks bad for a few weeks in a row. You get Sam Darnold hurt. Then you bring in Josh McCown. You're playing against Matt Barkley, who hadn't won a game since 2013 and was signed by the Bills two weeks ago. And you give up 41 points to the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's a, that's more, they gave up 41 points yesterday. They scored 41 points yesterday, 33 points in their like four or five weeks combined before that. Now you got the Patriots twice after the bye. Your season's over. Um, I think they'll, I guess they'll probably let him play out the string if they let him get through the bye just for the younger players. But certainly, uh, there's change coming there and I would expect them to look for an offensive minded young head coach to, to work with Sam Darnold. Yeah, it's like all these teams that we're talking about, the Browns making a switch at quarterback or at, at coach, you know, head coaching the Ravens, they all have rookie quarterbacks. Like why, like you would think you would have timed this up better because it's only going to set their development back, which I don't know if they even consider, but like learning an NFL offense is not easy. And now they're going to have to learn their second in two years, all of them. When you look at Darnold and Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, it just, I don't know. Some of these times I look at these teams and I just scratch my head. I'm like, was there not really a plan in place like a year ago? And clearly not. They just do things reactionary like the entire NFL does. <laughs> well, it's like the Hugh Jackson thing is insane. Like why would Jimmy Haslam force Hugh Jackson onto John Dorsey, the new GM, who's drafting a new quarterback and say, all right, you got to make this work with this guy and try and figure it out. By the way, he's won one game in two years. Um, you know, we're not sure. He, he may have never really developed a quarterback. We're not sure. We – People call him a quarterback whisperer, but then we look at the list of quarterbacks and we don't know exactly what happened. At any rate, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. Like, it, it, a smart NFL team is going, if you're making wholesale changes like that, you're going to get the quarterback, but you're going to get the GM who's going to get the coach who's going to get, you know, then you get the quarterback and you line it all up together and you make sure that everybody's on the same page and then you build out from there and you try to be as consistent as possible. And these teams are just willy nilly plucking parts in left and right and hoping they fit and it, it never works for them. And it's, it's why some of these teams are stuck in that, that cycle of mediocrity. 
Yep, no doubt about it. All right, so or you can be like the 49ers. You get your GM in uh, Lynch. You get your coach in Kyle Shannon. You have your quarterback lined up, Jimmy Garoppolo. Then he gets hurt. Then the plan all blows up. So there is no perfect solution for any of them. Well, we, we learned that for sure. Uh, thanks for joining us, Will. Appreciate it, man. Make sure you go check him out uh, on Twitter, at Will Brinson. Check out the uh, Pick 6 podcast. That's our daily uh, NFL podcast. Those guys kill it. They do a great job. Thanks a lot, Will. Appreciate it. All right, Danny. Have a great day, buddy. All right, let's get Reed Forgrave in here. He's coming up next because there was a lot of action in the NBA. Kind of stole some some of the NFL and college football thunder over the weekend. So we'll get uh, Reed Forgrave in here next to uh, help us break it all down. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Let's uh, get our guy Reed Forgrave in here to help us break down some of the NBA news because it was a big weekend. I mean, it was a monster weekend. It happened, and all of a sudden, you know, during college football, you're seeing Jimmy Butler trend, you're seeing Sixers trend, Timberwolves. All the NBA stuff was going down, and it was fascinating to watch. So, Reed, Jimmy Butler finally gets what he wanted. He wanted out of Minnesota, gets there. He goes to the 76ers. Give me your initial reaction once you heard this come down. What was your one, like, oh, this is my takeaway? Well, the, the big takeaway is the Sixers are now the only other team in the NBA that's not named the Golden State Warriors that has three top 15, 20 players uh, in the league. That is something in a league where star power matters so much. That's huge. Uh, there are a lot of questions about the fit here, about where's Philly going to make shots, where, where are the three-point shooting going to come from, where's the spacing going to come from. That's a problem when you have guys like Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, who can't shoot but need to be on the floor. Those are problems, but I think ultimately that's just noise. You got an elite player. Uh, you got a guy who, look, he, you never know whether you're going to sign a big free agent in this next offseason. Sixers were going to go for that. Not guys like Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard, but if you don't get the, those guys, you strike out. Now they know they got a guy. It sounds like Jimmy wants to stay. It sounds like the Sixers are at least giving lip service to saying we are going to give you that five-year max. So you, you can't fault the Sixers, even though there are some definite concerns around this deal. Does any of the concern have to do with, like, because he goes to Minnesota and there was this kind of generational difference. Like Jimmy Butler's old school, a little bit tougher, like harps on the defensive side of the ball. Like he's got a different mentality. Like he's more of a dog out there. And that didn't fit in uh, well with Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins. Now you're going to another team that has a lot of younger players that are immature, that are kind of finding their way in the NBA. Why does this work out differently than just from a chemistry standpoint, as far as just from the, you know, from the basketball standpoint? We, we don't know. I mean, that's going to be the most interesting thing. Jimmy Butler's last two stops have ended very poorly in the NBA. We remember this drama of the past two months with the Timberwolves, but it wasn't that long ago that he was forcing his way out of the Chicago Bulls. He was making Fred Hoiberg's life absolutely miserable. Jimmy Butler knows this. He knows this is now a reputation that he has. I was just talking with an executive uh, the day before this trade was consummated. And this executive told me he had two big concerns about Jimmy Butler. One was, do you want to sign this guy to a five-year max deal when at the end of that deal he's going to be in his mid-30s? He already has a lot of minutes on him, he, he, and he already has an injury history. That's one concern. The other concern is that personality. Jimmy Butler is a combustible personality. That can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. That can kick a team's butt or that can mean there's huge divisions on the playing floor and in the locker room. And look, this is who Jimmy Butler is. Uh, he is a self-made man. He is an incredible story. And five years ago, Jimmy Butler being like, this is me against the world, that was the, one of the most positive things about him. But now that he's become a superstar, the feeling around the league is that 
has that his success has gone to his head and not in a great way, and that me against the world mentality can play out in situations like it is here, like it did here in Minnesota over the past few months. So uh, the, uh, Vegas clearly likes the move. Uh, you had the Sixers jump from a 31 uh, odds uh, to win the title all the way up to 16 to one. Now they're at the third slot, seven to two odds to win the East uh, behind the, the Celtics and the Raptors. Do you agree with where Vegas has them slotted there as the third best team now? Yeah, I mean we'll see, but I think uh, I think you have to say that right now the Sixers, who were not the first month of the season, they were not a top tier team in the East. They did not make that leap that a lot of uh, a lot of us expected them to. Ben Simmons has looked like the exact same player from a year ago, which is a great player, but he hasn't made that progress that we expected. And you're adding, you know, an all NBA caliber player. I think now. The East, as much as there's been this narrative in the NBA, this very correct narrative that the West is so much stronger than the East. Uh, the West certainly is deeper than the East right now, but you can make an argument that after the Golden State Warriors, the next four teams in your NBA power rankings should all be Eastern Conference teams. The the Raptors obviously are right up there. I think that's a team that as much as anyone could contend for the title. The Celtics have been struggling. They'll be just fine when it comes down to it. Milwaukee Bucks look awesome with all the changes that Mike Budenholzer has made. And then I think with this trade, this vaults the Sixers immediately into that tier. Where does this leave Minnesota? Now with these young guys that they've made their clear investment is in Carlton Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Where does this leave them for their future? Well, it leaves them with they still have what one executive told me is the worst max contract in the league with Andrew Wiggins, but maybe Wiggins can find his footing a little bit more. I know we've been saying that for, what, four or five years now, frankly, since he was a freshman at Kansas. Uh, I think this team is, they have an interesting lineup right now. Uh, it's just a matter of whether Tom Thibodeau can change his old school ways and uh, adapt to the modern NBA. If you look at the way they're, uh, where they're getting their shots this year, uh, over the past month, last year, this team took fewer three-pointers than any team in the NBA. This year, they're taking eight more per game. They're right in the middle of the pack. That is a step in that right direction for Tom Thibodeau. And now you're adding two guys who are very long, and Dario Saric, Robert Covington, great floor spacers in theory. And again, this is very much theoretical. This could space the floor for Carl Anthony Towns, and his miserable beginning to this season could completely flip on its head. So there are lots of positives in this deal for the Timberwolves. You're never going to get a top 15 player uh, when you're trading a top 15 player. That's just not the way these things work. But they did get two NBA starter level players in Covington and Sarge. And I think that, even though ultimately this is a loss for the Timberwolves because you're losing a top 15 player, you can think of that loss in context that actually it's a little bit of a win. Do you think Tibbs is there next season? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's just so much noise around it. I had heard over the summer that they were this close to firing Tibbs uh, right before uh, draft day. Uh, that's something that was reported again yesterday by Adrian Wojnarowski. So I, I just think there's so much there. I've heard rumors about this uh, this front office being the most dysfunctional owner-general uh, manager relationship in the entire NBA. And this has just been such a bad situation when the commissioner is voicing his feelings that this is bad for the NBA, what's happened over the past two months – for the Timberwolves, and on top of that, they're not winning games. To me, the writing's on the wall. 
What is going on with Houston? Because there's all kind of mixed reports coming out there. The ultimate is that it hasn't, the, the Carmelo Anthony experiment hasn't worked. They're five and seven. He's missed the last two games with a quote illness. Um, uh, it's widely speculated that his time with the Rockets is done. Yeah, exactly. I had the same cough that he did. Uh, what right, is going right, to, right. how does this thing end? Yeah, I, I almost had to cancel this hit because of my illness, but you know, here <laughs> right. I am. I'm, I'm on the plan for it, dude. Uh, right. this ends soon and this ends, uh, Amicably, I think. Uh, it clearly hasn't worked, and I think the Rockets and Daryl Morey are treating this delicately because they know that Carmelo Anthony is one of Chris Paul's best friends and that uh, they put a lot of political capital into making this work, and it hasn't worked. Daryl Morey is one of the most analytical-minded minds in the NBA, and he looks at those numbers. Those numbers we're looking at right now, and he says, huh, it appears that our net rating is 11 points worse per 100 possessions when this future Hall of Famer is on the floor. That's not a good thing. Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer. He's also like your ultimate 1990s all-star. He doesn't fit in the modern NBA. He doesn't play defense. And frankly, he hasn't been great on offense. When he's having one of 11 shooting nights, that's a big problem when that's the only thing he brings to this team. All you got to do, look, we're, we're harping about the Rockets' defense, and it's a problem. But if you look on the other end of the floor, last year, only the Golden State Warriors averaged more points per game than the Houston Rockets. This year, there's only one team in the NBA that averages fewer points per game. Carmelo Anthony, it hasn't worked. Sayonara, it's sad. There's a lot of relationships uh, that are that are affected by this. But ultimately, this is a business. And it just, this experiment clearly hasn't worked and wasn't going to work. All right, Reed. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully you and Carmelo both start feeling better soon. <laughs> Got to take some time to tap, man. All right, let's get over to Hannah. That intro is so funny. Like, how do you not laugh at that? You're, like, putting on makeup and some of that. Anyways, it's, it's time awful. for our special Monday tradition, my personal favorite. We call out Danny on everything he blasted on social media over the weekend. So I'm going to run through some of them, and then you can make your case. So we start with a tweet from you on Saturday about none other than Alabama. Surprise, surprise. Danny, you said, quote, pretty impressive back-to-back defensive performances for Bama, shutting down the 104th and 106th ranked passing offenses. Wow. <laughs> and we got one solid response on this one. Someone tweeted back saying, you've got to be the biggest hater. Hannah, I can't even give Bama credit where credit is due and you're just assuming I'm going to hate. Like, I thought that was a very complimentary tweet. Like, it wasn't meant no, it to was. be a hater. It was. Like, it was complimenting them. And I had all these people coming after me. I'm like, I just don't get it. I just, I can't win when I tweet about Alabama. I just don't understand it. Like, I, I just don't know what happens there. Would you ever just not tweet about Alabama? No, because they're the best team in college football. Like, you have to give opinions about them. So I think it's lost in translation. So if I said, pretty impressive back-to-back defensive performances for Bama, shutting down the 104th and 106th ranked passing offenses, wow! Like, that sounds better, right? Like, that sounds like, way to go, Bama! Do I need to have, like, a translation on there? New challenge. Why don't you tweet about Syracuse this week? <laughs> All right. Not I will, because I think they might. I think they have a good chance to pull off the upset. Okay, good. I think so, too. All right, second tweet was a little bit better. You said, just a reminder that the committee we trust was selecting the four best teams had Kentucky ranked ninth. Since then, they've blown out at home versus UGA and then on the road versus Tennessee. Then some thinking emojis. One fan tweeted back at this saying, quote, and you thought NC State was a top 10 team. <laughs> All right, smart Alec, Coach Guy 7. 
I said that they deserved a top 10 ranking just as much as Kentucky deserved a top 10 ranking. The problem is NC State never got theirs. They never were given credit for running the table early of the season where Kentucky was propped up because of the conference they play. And that was my biggest problem with it. The whole thing, the whole rankings deal is a sham. Like I wish we would do away with it and just – just play and let it turn into the NFL where you can have the winners of the conferences move on to a playoffs and have a legitimate playoffs as opposed to having everybody argue about who they think is ranked the highest. It's so dumb. Well, Danny, you can take a deep breath now. That's all the calling out that we've got for you today. Coming up after the break, we've got your Monday night football matchup breakdown. Come on back to Off the Bench. All right, let's finish it off strong with some leftovers on Off the Bench. So uh, we were talking about NFL power rankings, who's the best team in the NFL. The Saints look like they've got that slot pretty much locked up. And their biggest, one of their biggest competitors are the Rams, who they did beat at home a couple weeks ago. All of a sudden you have some NFL news out that's going to make the Rams' plight that much tougher. As Cooper Cup, it just came across the wire that he is out for the season with a torn ACL. And this is that time of the season where it is a battle of attrition. It's such a violent, dangerous sport where you see guys get hurt, and the teams that make the push are the ones like the Eagles did last year. Eagles were decimated by injuries. Next man up. They get somebody else to come there and contribute. Now it's going to be up to Josh Reynolds uh, to pick up the slap that Cooper uh, Cup left off behind him. But the good news is if you're the Rams, like if you have your quarterback, obviously a quarterback is the most uh, important position and tough to replace. Although, again, the Eagles, good example of how that didn't bother them that bad. You got Todd Gurley, still have an MVP season. You still have Brandon Cooks. You still have some really good pieces of the puzzle there that it'll hurt, but I don't think it devastates the Rams' chances. And I think, I think as much as we talked about their offense and their expectations of their defense, I want to see their defense get better and improve where they can go out and dominate some games because Aaron Donald's been awesome. Sue has not been as of an effective of a force as I thought so. Keep Tlaib's been hurt. Marcus Peters has been okay and he's been out there yapping, calling out Sean Payton. The Rams' defense needs to do a much better job for me to buy into them as this Super Bowl contender. Until then, I'm riding with those Saints for sure. Uh, college football news we had yesterday, and this was a really awkward situation because their head coach, Bobby Petrino, was doing his Sunday uh, Sunday morning coaches show, which you see all the time. Every coach does it. They have a locally, and they break down the game. While he's doing his show, it came across the ticker on the bottom line. It said, Bobby Petrino fired from the Louisville uh, head coaching spot. So he gets removed from Louisville. It's been an interesting tenure for him because, you know, when he's had a quarterback, he's done all right, Lamar Jackson, but they've had a lot of nine and eight win seasons. So they haven't been able to get over that hump, get to an eight or uh, even a 10 win season or 11 win season, get to a New Year's six, haven't been able to contend for a ACC championship. Granted, they play in a really tough division with uh, Clemson and Florida State, but you did have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in Lamar Jackson, and the best you could muster was 9-4 and four and 8-5 and five seasons with him. Just not going to get it cut when you're looking at that. And then it just it really looked like, most importantly, aside from the obvious, which is the game, which itself got so out of control, when you get blown out that bad, the way they did, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna obviously have a lasting effect, but I don't even care about the score. I wanna see how the team looks, and are they responding to you as head coach? And when they put up performance that's that bad, when they get, uh, smoked, so back to back posts, so they had 77 points against Clemson, they gave up, then they get blown out 54 to 23 against Syracuse. It almost, you could just tell that the players just weren't buying it anymore. 
And so it became time to make that move. And I think there also is some, you know, something in play behind the scenes where I've always believed if you're going to fire a coach, you better make sure that you have something better. Like there's got to be another option there that you're going to say, we're going to fire this guy. Because Bob Petrino is a pretty good offensive mind. He's had a lot of success as a college coach. You better have something better. A lot of speculation that Jeff Brom, head coach at Purdue, played college football at Louisville, spent some time there, that he's their guy. And you better make sure you can lure him away from Purdue because he's got a pretty thing, pretty good thing going with Purdue, turning that program around, having them much more competitive. I think they'll be able to do that. I think Louisville is a better job than Purdue in the Big Ten. But, again, you better make sure that you have that in place before you do it. So now you've got several head coaching openings already this season. Firing Petrino at Louisville, Kansas. They've agreed to part ways with Tim Beatty after the season, uh, which is kind of an awkward deal. They're going to let him finish out, but they've agreed to part ways. And then you got Maryland, an opening with D.J. Durkin, which is going to be a really tough job uh, to take over the reins there with all of the baggage that comes along uh, with the horrific tragedy that they suffered there. But you hear about this toxic culture. Matt Canada is doing a pretty good job as an interim coach, but you just feel as bad as it's been, they need to clean house, clean out president, clean out athletic director, coaching staff, all of it, and start from scratch. Which, if you're a guy similar to Matt Rule at Baylor, where he basically got this six-year deal because they said, look, we know it's going to be rough for a couple years. We're going to believe in you. And Matt Rule's done a pretty good job at Baylor, turning it around after a first year 1-11. This year having a lot more success, uh, including some pretty big wins this season. So that'll be interesting to watch how that plays out at Maryland. Monday Night Football tonight, Giants at 49ers, the battle for the top pick. Problem is, both these teams, you know, 49ers don't need a quarterback. They obviously need picks. The Giants do need a quarterback, and we'll have to see if they're going to be in the market um, for the top quarterback that comes out. The problem is there's not a guaranteed guy, like a, a stud that comes out. You got Justin uh, Holbert, uh What's my man's name out at, uh, at Oregon, Coca? Justin Herbert. Can't believe I forgot his name. Or Drew Locke at Missouri. Those names aren't exactly ones you're going to be fighting for to drop – 30, 25, 30 million guaranteed on. So it'll be interesting to watch. And can the Nick Mullins magic continue? I think he's got a pretty good chance to do it. Kyle Shanahan have a good game plan for him going against the Giants. Also, let's see if Saquon Barkley can continue his tear on his rookie season. Yeah, maybe it'll be entertaining, but probably not. Have fun watching that one.